This is kind of one of those questions that maybe you, uh, I don't know, daydream about, or maybe you get asked on some sort of um, personality quiz or something. But the question is, if you had a day to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? If you had a day just whatever you wanted and like money wasn't an object, you know, wasn't a barrier, or you just had a day to do whatever you wanted to do, what would you do? And what first came to mind for me, if I had my choice, would be uh, maybe I'd play Ultimate Frisbee with some people, or board games, or I'd go see a movie in a theater, and those are some of the things that uh, would get excite- exciting for me. Um, Katie probably is like, yeah, that uh, sounds about right. Um, but I would also not really want to be doing those things alone, I meaning you can't play Ultimate Frisbee alone. Um, can't play board games alone unless it's solitary, I suppose. But I would want to be doing those things with people. And maybe if it was a different day, I'd be like, you know, I would just really like to read today. But I probably wouldn't get very far in doing that all day. I'd probably want to do something with other people. And uh, doing something alone or with strangers wouldn't, just wouldn't be the same as uh, experiencing those things with someone I love. And uh, in my college roommates and I try to get together um, once a year um, since we've graduated. And usually, typically, what we do together is we just play board games, we play some outside games, we play a, this game called Spike Ball. And you know, after, then we'll catch up on how life was. And this year, after that was done, I kind of was looked back and I was thinking, like, we have to really wait a whole other year to do this type of thing together? Because it was just a, if I could choose anything to do, it's like, okay, playing board games and playing sports uh, and catch up on life with people that I love was something that I felt like I would want to do. And so when you think about what would you want to do if you could do anything, what would you do for a day? And maybe another question, way to answer it is, you know, what would make you feel most fully alive? That's probably what you're going to be drawn to, is if I just had a day to do anything, you're probably going to say the thing that is like, this is when I feel most fully alive. Or it might be when you kind of sit back and say, oh, this, is, this is just what life is all about. Like This is what I was made for. There's maybe like a situation where you're like, you just feel like, this is what I was made for. Like, I was born to do this. This is what life is all about. And I was thinking about Huntley a bit this week, because Huntley feels, uh, Jonathan's dog, when she's, like, getting to go out hunting, it's like, that's what she's made for. Like, it's built into her, like, her bones, like, her DNA. And so it's like, that's when she feels most fully alive, like she's getting to hunt, or sometimes I've heard people talk about, um, like, sheep dogs, like, being bred to, like, help herd sheep. That's like what they were born to do. And when do you feel like, this is what I was made for. This I feel most fully alive when I do this thing. Or this is what life's all about. And we typically live for those moments. And we are like, I just want to get back to one of those moments. I just want to feel, you know, I want to get my work done so I can do this thing that is what I really feel like I was made for, I was born for. And oftentimes in commercials, they're often trying to show us this picture of, you know, isn't this what life is all about, like, isn't this, don't you kind of feel like if you were in this scene, it's like, oh, you'd just be, like, relaxing, and, like, this is what I was made for, and then, of course, it's their product that is either facilitating that or what makes it possible, and, you know, commercials know how to kind of, uh, advertisers know how to reach into our hearts and grab at the most deep inner desires of us to say, hey, this is what life's all about, and we can help you get there, we can help you feel like this is what I was made for. As we're continuing this seven-week series in relationships called Connected, uh, we're thinking today about what were we made for. This is about how to have better relationships, how to learn to connect with anybody important in our life, spouse or um, co-worker or friend or or child or parents. 
And in these first two messages, last week and this week, we're, we're laying a foundation. And last week we asked the question, well, if we're created to connect with God and with other people, why do we experience so much disconnection in our lives? If we're created for that, why is what we see in front of us disconnection? And the answer is found in our origin story in Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible. We, we learned that our horizontal disconnection with other people is the fruit of our vertical disconnection with God, that we first were became disconnected from God, and then, now, and then we have disconnection in our relationships with other people. Last week we focused on where disconnection comes from. And this week we're going to look at where our desire to connect comes from. Like, okay, like we see that there's disconnection between us and other people, like we're not, there's like stuff between us, we're not able to fully um, feel connected to someone, um, and we see that disconnection, but okay, where did the desire to connect come from? We're asking this question, what were we made for? What is life all about? When do, should we feel most fully alive? And, and we need to go back even further into our origin story. Last week we went to Genesis 3 for our origin story, and we talked about Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the universe. But we need to go back even further than before God created the universe. And we need to ask this question, what was God doing before he created the universe? What was God doing before he created the universe? And we could probably get a, a maybe an interesting set of uh, answers to that. Of like, what do you think? What do we think God was doing? You know, was he just sitting around twiddling his thumbs, kind of waiting for something to do? And oh, good, now I have humans, and I can fix all the stuff they've messed up. Or is he uh, just really lonely? What was God doing before he created the universe? And you've perhaps never even asked that question. It, it's kind of like um, asking the question: What were your parents doing before you were born? And oftentimes we maybe have some glimpses of, like, this is what my parents' life was like. But when we tell the story of our life, we started it with when I was born. We don't go to, like, oh, here's what my parents were doing and, and, and you know, for the ten years. And we get all those details. And then I was born. We often just kind of see life through the perspective of this is when I began to exist. And that's what, you know, life uh, means. And that's how I'm going to look at it through. Uh, and we probably never ask the question, when nothing else existed, what was God doing? And maybe you react to that question with curiosity, like, yeah, that would be really interesting to think about. Or maybe you're kind of like, does it matter? Like, is this even relevant to my life to think about when nothing else existed? What was God doing? And I'd like to say that this question is far more important than just being like an interesting head scratch. Like, oh yeah, let's think about that. That is interesting. And it's way more relevant than thinking, this just doesn't matter. Like, it matters a lot. To our lives, and there's a number of passages that tell us what God was doing um, before the foundation of the world, or before He created the world we now live in. And we're going to use 1 John 4 7 through 12 as kind of our main passage, and then we're going to launch into a couple of other passages. The main one is the one that Katie read, John 17. So, what was God doing before He created the universe? And in 1 John, on page 1023, if you're those Bibles that we have here, uh, verses 7 and 8 start off by saying. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. What I want to focus on for now is those three, those last three words. God is love. God is love. Love yeah. is fundamental to what it means to be God. It's not just that God is loving, but God is is love. If we want to know what love is, we should look at God because God is love. If we want to know where love came from, love came from God because God is love. 
So God is love, and all love is from God. God is both, both the source of all love, and he's the pattern and the model for what love is to look like. And this tells us that before anything else was created, God is love. Before the world and the universe came into existence, before any of us were on this planet, uh, before anything was this planet that even existed, God is love. It's fundamental to who God is. But the question is this. If God is love, who was he loving before he created the universe? If he is love, you know, love requires another person. We could say, like, well, maybe God was loving himself, which is very opposite of how the Bible describes what love actually is and what God's love is. God's love is an outgoing love. It's a love directed towards an other. And that's kind of the definition that we, would, we can get of love. Love requires an other, someone other than yourself. And so before the universe was created, who was God loving? If God is love, who was he loving? Love cannot be given if there is no one to receive it. To be a lover, there needs to be a beloved. And perhaps we would then say, well, okay, this is why God created it. This is why God created the universe, because he needed someone to love. He needed something to love. God needed some, uh, some object of his love. And then, but if we were to say that, what kind of God does that describe? Well, it describes a needy God, a God who needs us. He actually needs to create something in order to be himself. It's a God who is dependent on his own creation to be who he is. To, God is love, but he needs to create something in order to be the God who is love. And so we see that this is a God who created out of a deep inner need and longing that he, want, that he wanted fulfilled and satisfied. And this would mean that God isn't essentially and eternally Love, because before he created something, he had nothing to love. And so he wasn't always love, able to love something he had to create in order to love. Instead, this God is not essentially and eternally loving, but essentially and eternally needing someone else or something else. Since God is love, and since love, love requires an other, then God needed to create in order to be himself. In order for God to be God, God had to create the universe and that's, that's one option, is like, that's why God created And perhaps we might think, well, what's wrong with that? God is love, and he created the universe to have uh, something to love, you know, us or animals or the rest of anything else. And we might think, what's wrong with that? But uh, the issue is, imagine the problems that occur when a parent needs their child to be who they are. Like, when a child is uh, telling the parent, this is who you are. Like, they need that child to, like, fill this void inside of them. They need their child to be happy and whole. The, the parent is asking the child to provide something that it wasn't made to provide and isn't able to provide because Hudson cannot give me my sense of who I am. He can't fill this hole that it, he's just not able to fill that. There's an insecurity and an instability in the parent. There's an inappropriate and unhealthy clinginess. You know, we're saying, I'm only okay if I can love you and if you let me love, love you. And this is a parent who gets their identity, their sense of who they are from their child. And the Bible clearly teaches that God does not need us. Acts 17, verses 24 to 25 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So we are not a necessity to God. God does not need us in order to be himself or in order to complete himself. 
And so if God is love, and if love is fundamental to who God is, if love is part of his very being, if God is essentially and eternally been a loving God, and he doesn't need us in order to love, who was God loving before he created the universe? And to answer this question, we'll turn to the other passage we're looking at. We'll come back to 1 John, but the other passage is John 17, 20 through 26. I believe it's page 900-something, using those Bibles. John 17, 20 to 26. And while John wrote 1 John, the letter we were just looking at, he wrote that as a letter to a church. Um, the Gospel according to John, John 17, 20 through 26, are verses from that, is John's retelling of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. John was one of Jesus' earliest and closest followers. And in chapter 17, he records a prayer which he heard Jesus pray in person. And this prayer is not only him, he was praying for the people in the room at that time, but he also says, I'm praying for everyone who comes to believe through them. And Jesus, that means if we're sitting here today saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, Jesus was praying this prayer for us, and I would say is continuing to pray this prayer for us. John 17, chapter 17, 20 through 26 is the near at the end of the prayer. And so what was so important that Jesus prayed it would be true for every person who would ever believe in him. What is so important that Jesus would pray this? And so let's read John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26 again. It says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, even as you loved, loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you love me, for the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made, them, I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them, and I in them. So we see throughout this prayer, can't go into every single detail of it, but there's a, a desire for oneness. There's this oneness between Jesus and God, and Jesus wants there to be this oneness between his followers, among his followers, and he also wants there to be a, a oneness between uh his followers, and God himself. So it's all this interconnected unity. There's this um, desire for oneness. Jesus desires uh, for unity and harmony. And Jesus has done things, this prayer tells us, that make this oneness possible. He says that the glory God gave him, he's now given to his followers. And Jesus also has and will continue to make God's name known. He says those two things. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, and I'm making your name known and the glory of God and the name of God are almost saying the same thing. It's basically talking about who God is. This is his nature, and this is what he's like. And so Jesus is saying, I've revealed what you are like. I've revealed uh, your nature to these disciples sitting in front of me, your character. And Jesus says late in, late earlier in John's Gospel that anyone who has seen him has seen the Father, has seen God the Father. Jesus has made God known. It's, if you look at Jesus, you know what God is like. And then Jesus also talks about love. He's talking about oneness and unity and what he's done to make that possible. And he talks about love. In verse 23, Jesus says that God loves those who believe in Jesus 
but the same love that God has for Jesus. So if you're trusting in Jesus today, God loves you in the exact same way he loves Jesus, in nothing held back. In verse 24, Jesus says to God, you've loved me before the foundation of the world. And just hold on to that thought. We're trying to answer the question, what was God doing before he created the universe? And this verse says, you love me before the foundation of the world. Just hold on to that. Then he prays in verse 26 that the love with which God has loved him may be in his disciples. And so we see Jesus asking here, he's saying, God loves Jesus. Uh, God loves Jesus. God loves Jesus' followers the same way he loves Jesus. Jesus' followers are to love Jesus like the Father loves Jesus. So there's all this love that um, God loves Jesus, and then God loves us in the same way he loves Jesus, and God also wants us to love Jesus in the same way that he loves Jesus. And so it's just love all around. And so let's go back to that statement in verse 24, that God has loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. And what this means is Jesus existed before the universe was created. And in fact... If we've been reading the Gospel according to John all the way through, this wouldn't be a surprising statement because right in the beginning, the first three verses in chapter 1 say, in the beginning was the Word, the Word referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And so the Word, Jesus, in the beginning, before anything else was created, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Jesus, and there, without Jesus was not anything made that was made. And so we see in the beginning, before anything else was created, what were God and Jesus doing? Well, according to chapter 17, verse 24, God was loving Jesus. And we can get even more specific. Jesus begins the prayer in chapter 17 by addressing God as his Father. And then he refers to himself as the Son. And so Jesus is saying that in the beginning, God the Father was loving God the Son. God the Father was loving Jesus, God the Son. What was God doing before the creation of the universe? The Father was loving the Son. And so we see that the Son, Jesus, did not come into existence 2,000 years ago when the Virgin Mary became pregnant. No, the Son eternally existed. The Son has been eternally loved by the Father. What happened 2,000 years ago is that God sent His Son who took on flesh, as John 1.14 says. And 2,000 years ago, the Son took on flesh as a human being in the person of Jesus. And God declared in His baptism, You're my beloved Son. He declared on the Mount of Transfiguration, This is my Son. The Son of God's existence did not begin when He was conceived 2,000 years ago. But that is when he took on flesh, was sent by the Father. The Father has eternally loved the Son before the creation of the universe. And then the Father sent his already existing Son into the world, into creation, to take on flesh and gave him for our salvation. And this is why God is love. This is why God doesn't need us in order to be himself. God is love because God the Father is always and will forever love God the Son. For all eternity, the Father has been loving the Son. And Article 1 of our Statement of Faith says, We believe in one God, creator of all things, holy, infinitely perfect, and eternally existing in a loving unity of three equally divine persons. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So one God, eternally existing in a loving unity 
of three equally divine persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is love, and has always been love, because the one true God, our God, is not a lonely God needing his creation in order to be less lonely. Love is what it means to be God, and because God has always existed as a loving unity of three equally divine persons, uh, he can be love. Before the creation of the world, the Father was loving the Son. And in Jesus' prayer, he describes it as oneness. There's this deep connection between the Father and the Son. There's this loving unity, as our statement of faith says. And imagine a relationship where there's no barriers between the two people, where neither has sinned against each other, neither has mistreated the other one. There's no loss of trust or lack of trust. Each person has always perfectly loved the other one. No wounds from past hurts, no resentment or bitterness, and no reason to have resentment or bitterness. Never having to forgive, because there's nothing to forgive. There's been nothing that created disconnection or distance. Always perfectly and fully connected. And if you're around like a newly engaged or newly married couple, you might feel like, wow, there's like a real love between them. Like you can just kind of see it, you can kind of feel it. And then in the same way, if there's been a couple married for like 50 years and you see them, you know, you know holding hands or walking, I mean, there's always like something that seems like we get... Uh, kind of teary-eyed over when we're like, wow, those two people, they've been married for so long and they love each other. And imagine like how much unity there is between them, how much if they've lived a healthy relationship that there's this, there's this bond, there's this oneness. After 50 years of marriage, they just know one another inside and out and they've been learning to give and receive love from the other person for that long. And after dinner with them, you might say, well, there's a real spirit of love between them. I might add, there's a real spirit of joy between them. They just have this joy of being with each other. And there's a spirit of peace that feels like there's like no barriers, don't have any walls up between each other. There's a sense of oneness. And after all, that would make sense because the Bible says, a man and a woman in marriage become one flesh. And if we can have this sense between two human beings who have married for 50 years, what about God the Father and God the Son who have been together in sinless love Eternally, eternally knowing each other, loving each other without any stain or pain of sin. What kind of spirit of love, joy, and peace would be between them? And how much would we be able to sense it? There's this bond of perfect joy, perfect love, perfect peace between them. They perfectly love each other. They always fully enjoy each other. And they always have peace in their relationship. And that's the spirit between them, a spirit of love, joy, and peace. And this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living love, the living bond between Father and Son. And this love between Father and Son is the source and pattern of all of our love, and we're brought into this love by the Holy Spirit. He's the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship. He brings us into this position where now we are uh, kind of in, enveloped into God's love. We get to be part of it. Through the Spirit, the Father and Son make their home in us, and the Holy Spirit is the, the seal of God's love on us, and the Holy Spirit makes us cry out, Abba, Father, feeling I'm attached to God, I belong to Him, and He is my Father. It gives us that attachment to Him. And this is what Jesus is saying, praying that we would be brought into. Jesus' mission was to bring us back into the love of God for which we were created. Jesus' mission and desire is to bring us back into this experience of God's love. So what were Father and Son doing before they created everything else? According to Jesus, the Father was loving the Son. But we're not going to turn to this passage in depth, but they were also planning the inclusion 
of others into this family of love. This is Ephesians chapter 1, the very end of verse 4 to verse 6. It says this, In love he, referring to God the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. The Beloved is Jesus, and it's through Jesus that we've been brought into this family. In love, the Father chose us for adoption into his family, to be loved by the Father in the same way he loves the Son. And it says this was done uh, before the foundation of the world, if we backed up into verse 4. What was God doing before the world was created? The Father was loving the Son, and also in love was planning our entrance into this family. Jesus was sent to make this possible, and the Spirit is the one who brings us into to stand under the waterfall of God's love for us. And so we go back to 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. What does God's love look like? What kind of love is this? It's on page 1023, 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 12. What is the love that we're brought into? 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we see, what, what puts God's love on display? How do we know what God look, looks like? What's like the, the showcase for God's love? It's like we, if we had it in here, you know, if we could you know, like have trophy showcases, we could have a showcase of this is God's love. It would be his Son coming to the world and dying on a cross in our place for our sins. It, his love is, is giving. It's self-giving. It's life-giving. God gives himself. God the Son. And that is love. That's what love is. Giving yourself for another. Laying down your life for another. Giving yourself that they may have life. And that's what God does. God gives himself. It wasn't like Jesus was some third party apart from God. It's like, okay, we, we have a problem with God. And now God recruits this third party named Jesus. And he dies in our place. No, God the Son is fully God. The three, uh, loving unity of three equally divine persons. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus, God's love is put on display in the Son dying for our sins, taking our penalty in our place. And so we see God's love is generous. It's giving. It's gracious love. It's a love that lays down its life for each and every one of us. It's a love that shares and gives and lavishes and pours out. It's a love that pays for wrongs he didn't commit. It's a love that takes the penalty in our place. And that's what the, that big word propitiation means, is to die in one's place to fulfill the judgment against them. Now we can have the same relationship that Jesus had, has, and will always have with the Father. A relationship where there's no bitterness, no resentment. A relationship where there's no barriers or walls. A relationship where there's no distance or disconnection. Yes, we bring our sin, we bring our neglect, we bring our lack of love into the relationship. But God brings none of that, and he has taken care of to remove all that that we bring into it, to clear out all those barriers, all the disconnection we bring in. The Father so loved us that he gave his Son, and the Son loved us and gave himself for us. And the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, we're sealed with the love of God, and God's love is poured into our hearts. So we become children of the Father, loved like Jesus the Son, bonded to God by the Holy Spirit of love, joy, and peace. And so what were we made for? What is life all about? When we go back to even before creation happened, we look at what God is like, and then we're told we are made in God's image. And so the big idea for today is this. You were made to be loved by God 
to love God and to love like God. You were made to be loved by God, to love God, and to love like God. And it's in that order. First, it's you were made to be loved by God, then to love God, and then to love like God. We were made to be loved by God first and then give that love to others and to respond to Him in love. And there's this book um, by a guy named David Benner. I have it up here. I'll talk a little more about it later. It's called Surrender to Love. And he says, Giving and receiving love is at the heart of being human. Giving and receiving love is at the heart of being human. And I want to ask, well, why is that? Why is giving and receiving love at the heart of being human? It's because giving and receiving love is at the heart of being God. And we're made in His image. The reason that giving and receiving love is at the heart of being human is because giving and receiving love is at the heart of being God. And we're made in His image because God the Father is giving love to God the Son and the God the Son is receiving that love from Him. And God the Son is loving God the, and it's, you know, back and forth. It's giving and receiving love. Before the creation of the world, God the Father was loving the Son with a spirit of love, joy, and peace. And then God created the world in order for us to share in that, to give it to us, that he wants to give and share his love. And God saves us. He creates so that we can, he can give and share his love. And then he also saves us so that he can give and share his love once again. In love, God chose Israel to be his special people, to set his affection on them, to make them the object of his love. And then in love, God chose us for adoption, to be included in his love. We're created in love, by love, and for love. We were saved in love, by love, and for love. So we were made to live from God's love, not for it. If you want to kind of know what you should remember from today, we have our big idea, you were made to be loved by God, to love God, and to love like God. And that very first thing, you were made to be loved by God. If you remember something from today, remember you were made to be loved by God, and think each day, from, not for I'm supposed to live from that love, not for it. I'm not supposed to be a good person, read my Bible, attend church services, not swear, not, you know, anything we might say, like, we're not supposed to do those things for God's love. We're supposed to do those things from a place of already being loved by God. We were made to be loved by God. And the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love others, you might think, okay, sweet, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do, love God and love others. But those two commands given to Israel and then also to us today, were given to people who are already loved by God. So the first thing was, they were loved by God and he rescued them and now he's saying, now you love me and you love others. So we need to think be before do. Before loving God and others, we need to learn to be loved, to be the beloved of God. The most important thing for you to learn is not learning how to be loving, but learning how to be loved. John says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-12, through 12, that anyone who does not love does not know God. And back when Katie and I did college ministry, I had this thing that I would do with the guys I was mentoring, and I would, have, I would show them pictures of Niagara Falls and be like, you know, oh, this looks pretty cool, right? We'd look at these pictures. And then you know, I tried to simulate being at Niagara Falls and so I put these little headphones in I had this waterfall I put it in their ears it had this waterfall sound so it's and I had them close their eyes which they always did with a little bit of fear so like what's he going to do now and I had this little 
spray water bottle. And so I like missed them with it. So they're like listening to Niagara Fall or you know waterfall, and they're getting misted by it. And then the point I would make was, what's the difference between looking at these pictures and then actually experiencing? You know, obviously we weren't actually experiencing Niagara Falls, but if we were there, you would, kind of, you would hear the waterfall in your ear. You'd kind of feel that rumble that's kind of like moving your stomach a bit, and you would feel this mist like coming off of it onto you, and just it would just be a much different. Uh, experience than looking at a picture and like reading about it on Wikipedia because on one you're knowing about Niagara Falls and the other you are personally knowing Niagara Falls. You're experiencing it and that's what John is saying. If you've had an experience with God you will not leave unchanged. I can read Wikipedia and leave unchanged but if I take the Maid of the Mist up to Niagara Falls I'm going to get all wet. I'm going to have all this mist on me. It's going to be obvious that I've got, or, or maybe, you know, they always wear rain jackets or whatever, but it's going to be obvious. Like, wow, you took the maid of the mist. You like actually experienced Niagara Falls. There's a difference between knowing about God's love and personally knowing God's love. John says, if you do not love, you do not know God. Why? Because God is love. His love will get on you and in you and it will come out through you. You cannot have an experience with this God, of knowing this God personally, without coming out loving it on the other end. And if we don't live from God's love, we will live for it. We will try to prove we deserve His love by how well we love Him and how well we love others. If we live for God's love without His love, we will be living to earn His love from Him by living for Him. It was supposed to be the other way around. We love because he first loved us. You were made to first be loved by God, and then to love God, and to love like God. We were made to be loved by him, which ignites a love for him in us when we have his love, and experience it, and ignites a love in us for him, and it overflows and pours out in love for others. God's love frees us from our self-directed love. So we are primarily loving beings, not thinking beings, which means that what we love or who loves us has a much greater impact than what we are told or what we believe. We are most transformed not by what we think or believe, but by what we love and by who loves us. We are transformed by being loved. This is the path back to connection. That's what this whole series is about. If we want to have connection with others. We need to be reconnected with the God of connection. Disconnection exists because we're disconnected from the source of connection. And the reason we have such a hard time loving others is because we haven't experienced being loved by God. And we cannot have a personal knowledge of God's love without actually becoming loving. He's not only the pattern, the model, and example. We're not supposed to look at the cross and be like, oh, Look, Jesus laid down his life and love, and so now that's our example. No, first we have to see that is God's expression of love to me. We need to receive it as God's love for us. Is that The cross isn't first our example of how to love. It's the, the source of our love for other people, is that we need to be loved by God first. And we're, if you think about it, just these two images, one is we're supposed to be like a sponge, is that we receive God's love, we soak it up, and then we squeeze that out on other people. And often we feel like we're having such a difficult time loving other people because we're like a sponge that's kind of dry. And it's like, I'm supposed to love you right now. And we're like trying to squeeze some out. And it's like, I just got nothing left. 
is because we have not soaked up the love of God for us. And so we can perhaps have something uh, soaked up into our sponge from humans loving us, but it's always going to be imperfect and less than the love of God for us. And secondly, we were made to be loved by God, so it's like a car that's supposed to run on gas. We just cannot go without that love in us. It's like, this is a car that's supposed to be loving God and loving others, but the car won't move until it receives the love of God into its tank. So to be loved by God is what we're made for. This is what life is all about. Love is what we're made for. Love is what we were saved for. But how can we receive God's love for us? And you might be asking, like, okay, you're saying it has to be more than just knowing about it, and I need to receive it and experience it personally. So what? Okay, so how do I do that? What does it even look like? And honestly, I'm learning in some ways myself. What does it look like for me to personally experience and feel the love of God for me? And not just, I believe this, and I try to just make my beliefs stronger. And this is where I just wanted to share a quote or two. If you want to, you can't read a book to feel loved by God, but these things can help us to be, again, seeing God in the right way to say, oh, he actually does want to love me. I'd recommend this one, Delighting in the Trinity is one, and Surrender to Love is a good one. And so he says, you know, how can we move from just knowing about God's love to actually knowing God's love? And he says this, If an encounter with divine love is really so transformational, how is it that so many of us have survived such encounters relatively unchanged? It seems that the experience of love, even God's love, does not always have transforming consequences. It is important to understand why this is the case if we're to allow ourselves to meet divine love in ways that lead to genuine change. Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It is not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing. It is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. Daring to accept myself and receive love for who I am in my nakedness and vulnerability is the indispensable precondition for genuine transformation. But make no mistake about just how difficult this is. Everything within me wants to show my best pretend self to both other people and God. This is my false self, the self of my own making. This self can never be transformed because it is never willing to receive love and vulnerability. The crux of the problem is that I cannot feel the love of God because I do not dare to accept it unconditionally. To know that I am loved, I must accept the frightening helplessness and vulnerability that is my true state. And this just brings us back. The image I want to close with is what we saw in the Garden of Eden, is that Adam and Eve were naked and not ashamed. And so it's this vulnerability and openness. There's no reason to cover up and hide if we know that the person seeing us is going to perfectly love us. And that's the experience. How do we come into an experience of God's perfect love for us? Is that we don't cover up and hide. As First John 1 says, we need to, if we want fellowship with God and other people, we need to come out of hiding. We need to come out of the darkness and into the light. We need to tell the truth about ourselves and to, to both to God and to others. So to, and particularly to people who also know God's love so that you know that they can give it to you back and not reject you. This is actually, we think about this in the church, this is how Jesus said the world will know his, we are his disciples. It's not by our right beliefs, not by how much of the Bible we know or can quote, 
not by how righteous we are. No, he says, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. That we will love each other like Jesus has loved us. So as a church, our goal is to, we need to receive God's love so we can, in, in just being totally vulnerable and open to him, and that we can give that love to one another as we're vulnerable and open with each other. Let's pray. God, there's, it almost seems like too much love for us to even bear receiving. And it's true, we will never get to the end of how much you love us. And so, Lord, in the rest of this service, would you use the Lord's Supper and the songs and the prayer at the end that we'll hear to let us really feel that we are loved by you. So, as then we pray. Amen.